0: Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth. I don't know where you're listening to us. I don't know whether it's in Antigua. I don't know whether it's on Tuesday evening or whether it's the rebroadcast on Saturday or maybe it's a podcast. Maybe you're listening from the other side of the continent, other side of the world doesn't matter. We are glad that you are part of the program tonight. Sitting across the desk from me, as usual, is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, good evening, Brother Nathan, and let me thank
1: those of you who are listening tonight. We appreciate so much for giving us attention.
0: And it's not only the listening that we appreciate, it is the interaction, and we look forward to you interacting with us. Pastor, before we delve into our questions, or our topic that we were discussing last week, I want to discuss a question that came in from a listener from the beautiful country of Australia. Thank you very much for sending in the question. And it was related to UFOs. Um, The question relates to the fact that there's a lot of confusion and... Uh, ultimately possibly even lies false information in the media but wanting to know your thoughts on the frenzy about UFOs or unidentified flying objects that has caught the attention of the media especially in the United States recently and that comes from a listener in Australia. Thank you very much for sending that in Rick.
1: Well to be very honest with you let me first confess that I've not done much investigation into the subject but since you raised it uh, I probably need to do far more investigation than I will speak to this evening. Um, I did um, do some research. I did do some um, looking at matters. I had one or two books on it, which I've never read, to be honest with you. Uh, but I would like to say that, you know, a few years ago, if you talked about UFOs, you talked about belief in aliens, you would qualify to demand asylum. Today, if you uh, talk about UFOs, you talk about aliens, uh, you might get a government grant to do research, or you might be qualified to be a PhD in some some institution. Things have changed. The reality is that something is really happening. Um, There's no question about it that things are occurring. Uh, The question is, what is behind these manifestations? Um, 61% of Americans now believe that we are not the only intelligent creatures in the galaxy, that's 61%. Uh, 6% of Americans claim that they've seen some kind of a UFO. So if the population of America is 370 million, you take 6% of that. There's a significant amount, more than a million people, to be very honest with you. Um, uh, 43% uh, of Americans believe that UFOs are real. Jimmy Carter himself said he saw a UFO um, um, himself. Uh, astronaut uh, Gordon Cooper Uh, said that in 1951 um, we had two days of observing UFOs of different sizes and flying at different levels. Uh, The U.S. government in 1992 uh, was authorized to find, uh, to fund uh, NASA, sorry, to search out for about um, intelligent uh, radio signals, uh, this continued until 1993, and then it was stopped. And then it was continued privately by uh, something place called Citi, which is a search for in, uh, extraterrestrial in- intelligence. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of things have, have happened uh, in terms of the, 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 this whole matter. Um, you've probably heard of the Phoenix Lights, which occurred in March 30, 1997. We hundreds of people in Arizona. Uh, saw unusual uh, formation of light and uh, they even captured it on video and there are many uh, accounts of this uh, so there is something there there's no question about that I, I don't doubt that there's something happening the pr- problem is that there's no hard evidence that would suggest that there's extraterrestrial intelligence for example in no spacecraft There are no carcasses that people claim. uh, There's no transmission between what is supposed to be these intelligent creatures and and, and humankind. Um, There is credible uh, cosmic and uh, autonautical events that would lead people to believe that they are. Uh, But whatever is happening, um, I think there are a few choices that you can make. Uh, number one uh, has to be that th- um, there are intelligent beings outside of of planet Earth. I don't believe that, to be very honest with you. I don't believe that you're these fine little green men on some planet somewhere. I just think that's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, so the other option, either is that this is of God or this is of of, of demonic um, uh, this is demonic activity. I pretty much believe that. A lot of it has to do with uh, demonic uh, activity. Uh, As you would know that all of these so-called aliens where people say they've had contacts with them, um, they're, they're telling these human beings that we're all divine, that we all need to evolve to a higher level of consciousness, that reality is what you make it to be, and none of them admits that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So there's something uh, very, very peculiar there. The other thing I find fascinating is that in every case light is involved, and I believe that if you check the book of Corinthians. It talks Satan um, masquerading himself as an angel of light, and his also angels are angels of light. So I, I am I am sus- very, very suspicious that this is a lot of demonic activity beginning to ha- operate in the end time, and I think that Hollywood has. Uh, somewhat uh, help align itself with this this thinking preparing the world for the ultimate deception that's my view um so people you've come up with et uh you've got um vanished you've got a lot of uh, you've got um the recent uh blockbuster um i uh, forgot the name of it uh, where we've got this this weird um, experience that this, this they had um Avatar is is, is the one you had. You had The Matrix. Uh, All of these are weird uh, Hollywood shows that clearly uh, are putting people's mind uh, outside biblical Christianity and perhaps stretching the imagination that there can be some kind of intelligent being out there and that they're trying to get in contact. And by the way, all of this coalesces with the New Age movement. We've got these ascended masters that are supposed to be communicating with writers who write automatic writing, and they're like channels. Uh, so I believe that this is part of the... Uh, end time uh, scenario where the world is being set up for ultimate deception and I think that we're being prepared and I think this generation this younger generation is being prepared to actually accept the fact that they are supernatural beings and I think when the man of sin come on the scene uh, I would not be surprised uh, if it would have some connection with the UFOs or or some of these um, extraterrestrial uh, intelligent uh, creatures I just have it in my bones that it is part of a massive conspiracy that would lead to ultimate deception. Uh, but that's my view on the whole matter. I haven't done any extensive study on it. I probably will do a little bit more of it. But it is very, very clear that something real is happening. It's not just uh, people's imagination. Something is happening. The question is, what is behind all of this? And as far as I'm concerned, it's not of God. I do not believe that there are any extraterrestrial creatures outside of, 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 of um, planet Earth. The Bible doesn't credit give that credit to any other beings. We are told that God created the angels and God created human beings and that man was made a little bit a little lower than the angels. The other thing I would like to say if I might add this, remember that fallen angels like uh, um, holy angels have the capacity to transform themselves. People who are involved in the occult, for example, um, can actually have something materialize uh, before uh, before people who are watching, especially seance. Uh, And it's always a white substance as well that that materializes. They call it ectoplasm of some type. So in the occult world, um, this is not uncommon to see some white physical appearance or some light uh, uh, appearing. The last thing I'd like to say is most of these people who report uh, witnessing these things and experiencing these uh, uh, taken away in some kind of spacecraft, all of them would very our were involved in the occult at some point in time and i think that is very very significant so i don't know if i could uh, be definitive of what i'm saying uh, but i would like to believe that um, this is really part of the final uh, deception that will take planet earth by surprise and i think that this generation is being prepared to expect some supernatural or some superhuman to appear in the scene to solve human problems and I just feel that it's all connected to this matter.
0: Pastor, have you ever heard anyone speculate, again, we can't know for sure, but that possibly an explanation for those that are left behind after the rapture would be that aliens abducted those who claim to be Christians?
1: Yeah, I, I have a book. I started reading it, but it's almost 200 pages. <laughs> I was hoping to get read it, but finish reading it today. But the gist in essence is that the guy is suggesting that this is part of a, a plot. That same thing you're talking about, that when the rapture does occur, the scientific community's answer would be this idea that aliens have uh, taken these crazy Christians away to some other galaxy of some kind. That is probably going to be the explanation uh, that is being suggested. But there's nothing in the Scripture that would lead us to, to know what is happening in that in that realm. But I do feel it has to do with preparing us for the ultimate, when I say us, the world, for the ultimate deception of the Superman coming. Because how can you explain that when the Antichrist comes to the scene, he is man, uh, claims to be God. But not only that, that is able to give life to an image and mm-hmm. uh, that speaks and, and moves. It's almost a kind of a robotic type of a thing, but it is seen to be more than just be a, ro- a robotic. I'm not too sure of an um, a, um, a evil spirit. The demon will take over possession of the this uh, image and animate it. But it is going to be a, a level of deception that the world has never seen. But I think the world is being prepared for it, and I think people believe in these things are setting up the stage for this ultimate deception.
0: I recently heard someone uh, talking about the hypocrisy that is explained only by how your worldview views situations like this. Think about this, okay? People are searching outer space for the simplest uh, BB, you know, Morse code, and they'll say, "Oh, that's sign of extraterrestrial life." But yet they look at the complexity of DNA and they say, oh, no, that's not evidence of a God that created us. There's You can't relate those two without saying that there's a worldview that writes off the idea of God to start with.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, Nathan, because how is it possible for you to believe in aliens existing? Okay, And there's so much... Uh, Empirical evidence that what is cannot have just have happened. Yeah. You don't get intelligence out of non-intelligence. You don't get personality out of impersonality. Nothing comes out of of, of nothing basically, and we all know that according to all the basic laws of science, the laws of thermodynamics, for example, that everything is supposed to be running down. So the earth had to have had a beginning. But I do find it is very biased and very prejudiced that you prefer to believe in little green men, and you find it hard to believe in a great God who could create all that there is. It is part of the hypocrisy and the mockery, uh, but it just gives the idea of how Inclined man's heart is away from belief in God. The the anti-God spirit in man is one of total rebellion. And uh, it comes up very clearly in what he's able to accept and at the same time reject some of the simplest truths that are so obvious because of um, his reasoning.
0: Et so in the Bible you can't find a specific verse that says you should believe or you shouldn't believe in UFOs.
1: No, but I'll tell you in the in the uh, in reading some of these things some people use Isaiah as Ezekiel chapter 1. You know, we have the the the, uh, the circle inside the circle. Yeah. They say that's a, a flying saucer, it's a UFO. <laughs> uh, but of course, the teaching there, symbolic teaching, is that you remember that they had a wheel within a wheel, and whatever whatever north or south or east or west, of course, that's talking about God's omnipresence. He's everywhere, so it's symbolic of God's omnipresence that is moving and in every direction you go, basically. Uh, but. I think people are trying to find um, human explanations to do away with the concept of being responsible to God. Uh, I think that's the whole uh, purpose
0: behind this whole exercise. Rick, thank you very much for sending that question in from Brisbane, Australia. We appreciate you listening. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 7.46. There's multiple ways that you can send in your questions to us. You can call and be put live on the air, one two six eight four six two seventy four twenty. 462 7420 You can WhatsApp or text your question to one two six eight seven eight two one four five four, 782 1454 Or you can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and you can comment your questions right there on your device. Yeah, uh, Nathan, I did want to say something
1: else. You know, I've heard you probably heard it as well. But you talking about the Rushwell crash, uh, yeah. where they're supposed to have had little men and uh, spacecraft and stuff like that. Uh, and they found the debris, and it was taken by top secret into American uh, top secret place, et cetera, to be examined and so on. You know, after the documents were declassified, um, it was discovered that really it was a top secret military project where they were using... Uh, one of these big balloons using what you call a pre U2 plane blimp they were planning to use it in the Soviet Union you remember that one of your planes was shot down uh in the Soviet Union and you ca- they were captured one of the soldiers were captured one of okay. the, yeah but it, it had to do with that but at the time they couldn't let that be known because it would have jeopardized the plan for Russia, and Russia would have known what was happening. So it was a denial. But after the documents were declassified, that was the explanation. So well, it's all these green men that they're supposed to have seen, people are saying that and they think that it was a spacecraft, it really wasn't that, basically. But it's only declassification that actually brought the light because they could not either say it or deny it, basically, because it would have really put the whole project in jeopardy.
0: But couldn't you just argue that... I don't want to go down a conspiracy path yeah, yeah. here, but couldn't you just argue that that was the government's cover story when they were forced to declassify it? That they Well, I
1: suppose <laughs> you can argue that. But uh, the other interesting thing, uh, Nathan, that from 1949 to 1969, uh, the U.S. Um, Air Force officially uh, studied uh, UFOs, and they had a project called Project Blue Book. And uh, they... S- decided to follow up all of these sightings and all of these reports, uh, the report terminated in, in December 17, 1969, and of these 12,618 sightings reported, eleven thousand nine hundred seventy seventeen had natural explanations. So 94% of all those sightings, th- there were natural explanations. So that, that, that but again, they still have a 6% that they really weren't sure how to explain that.
0: You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. No matter what your question is, we would be glad to answer it from a biblical worldview. Last week we began discussing the topic of codependency, a word that you may not use in your everyday language, your everyday speech with coworkers and with family, but the concept is something that relates to our everyday life. Pastor, can you remind us or maybe for the individual who's just tuned in to this episode for the first time what is codependency?
1: Well, codependency, you might call a relationship addiction, uh, where you have um, two persons in a skewed relationship. Uh, one person is dependent on the other person to the point of being controlled and being manipulated. But the, the situation there is that both need each other. Uh, the person who is, is, is helping um, is normally facilitator. That person needs to be needed. So they keep that other person in dependent relationship. So it's a, a, it's a kind of an irrational relationship between two people that they're going nowhere. They're very miserable in situation, but they can't seem to break the bond between the two of them. And they both are manipulating each other. So the relationship is very toxic. It's very dysfunctional. But one needs somebody. The person, the other person needs to be needed. So you've got that that weird combination between uh, the two persons, basically. That's what it is.
0: You were talking about different types of codependent relationships and the alcoholic. Yeah,
1: Yeah, we talked about the alcoholic. We talked about the drug addict as well. We also talked about the fact that even within counseling, you have the situation where the counselor becomes so dependent on the counselor and the counselor's job is to work himself out of counseling but he seemed to to love the relationship so it becomes an ongoing relationship so you're counseling for two and three years when it can be done in, in, in three months or six months. Uh, that is a reality that happens. And then you have an enabling wife who uh, encourages a husband by making all kind of false reports. He comes in drunk. He can't get to work on time, but he's constantly telling uh, the boss that he's ill or he's sick or something. Uh, that's another. And then sometimes it can be a teacher and a student. Very, very strange, but a student, a student becomes so dependent on the teacher the teacher loves that dependency and keeps that going. Uh, and so there are a variety of ways in which that can be manifested. But the whole idea is, is a dysfunctional one. It's not, not interdependence. Uh, both need each other, but for different reasons.
0: This afternoon, I heard Dr. Jim Binney on the Radio Lighthouse talking about how man can become so dependent when reading Scripture that he goes to man or to other commentaries to explain Scripture rather than crying out to God or using Scripture to interpret Scripture. Would that be considered a type of codependency, or am I stretching I think, it? I
1: think we would be, because codependency really involves people, to be honest with you. Okay. It's actually two people. I think you asked me a question like that yesterday, and I, I thought of it afterwards, and I said I might have to retract that one. Okay, But a codependent relationship is, involves two individuals. Um, I think that the, the, the situation you're talking about is where a person becomes dependent on, script, on, on commentaries, books, whatever. I'm I'm pretty much a, a person who loves to do a lot of reading in those areas, so I've got to be very careful how I yeah. speak. <laughs> but yes, you can come to the point where um, you're not doing any study yourself, basically, and you can actually be dependent on writers and stuff like that. Uh, That is a fault in itself. Uh, As a matter of fact, I think sometimes the Internet, because of the amount of information that's there, can be actually detrimental to pastoral study. And uh, pastors don't study because they can just quickly pull up something and and, and deal with it. Uh, I think there are detriments to those kind of things. You've got to be very careful and have a balance in it.
0: What about the situation where you have a Christian parent and an adult child living in the home? But the adult child is going out to FETS and that type of thing is uh, not attending church. Would that be a codependent relationship? No,
1: that, that, that could be one. But I think it's even worse than that where, actually, in fact, rather than trying to get the person become independent. Uh, they're not encouraged to work, they're not encouraged, even when they're home, they're not encouraged to do anything. they pretty much lazy around, enjoy television, maybe go and play games, whatever it is. Uh, there's no pushing that person to actually become an adult and try to become independent and try to improve maybe their studies. Or if they're not if they're not working, certainly they should be learning some kind of a trade or involved in some kind of uh, intellectual activity. I think that parents can encourage that. Um, I know of one situation right now that I'm wondering if when the parent dies, what will happen to the child. I really can't. It burdens me, to be very honest, You think what would happen if the parent dies. And I think that's a very unfortunate, dysfunctional, toxic situation that ought to be dealt with. Uh, and I think the parents really uh, are partly responsible for that kind of uh, situation. But that can happen, and it does happen, believe it or not. Codependency
0: can happen within a marriage, too?
1: Of course, uh, there's no doubt about that. You can have a do- codependent marriage. Um,
0: what would you say would be the difference between a codependent marriage and a healthy marriage? Well, in a codependent
1: uh, relationship and uh, marriage, um, you'll find that what ha- what happens is that the the um, one partner is totally dependent on the other, uh, and they don't know how they could ever survive. Uh, if the other person were to leave them or uh, something were to happen. Uh, So I think that that's a very, very common thing that can happen, especially if a person doesn't have a career, a person doesn't have any kind of um, intellectual training. Uh, I've seen this happen already uh, when I was a a much younger person in in my country of Barbados. I've seen an entire Christian family completely disintegrate once the father died. The mother had never had a career. She'd never worked in her life. She had no skills, and suddenly the husband died, and uh, she had nobody to turn to. There was no, there was no insurance policy that would there to sustain them during that period of time after death. I mean, the, the whole family crumbled. Mm. Uh, I watched the, the children who were very good Christians crumble and go back into the world. I watched the wife herself uh, leave Barbados and went to her home country and got mixed up with a person who was not even a Christian and lived with that person for a number of years until finally no, finally, she came back to the Lord and, and, and got her life back out but I saw that happen, I mean it was painful to see it happen but what happened is that she was totally completely dependent on her husband and never tried to look at some eventuality, what, what if this were to happen. Do I have a skill? Do I have any means of surviving? None of that was pre-planned. And so when it happened suddenly, uh, the whole family was hurting. It was one of the most Christian families ever met, to be very Mm -hmm. honest with you, and very, very godly. But because of that one incident,
0: I saw the entire family disintegrate. So what advice do you have for the Christian that is listening and says, how do I plan or prepare for that?
1: Well, I would say to anybody, whether um be a male or female, um, I would say to you is always, if you choose to be a housewife, there's nothing wrong in being a housewife. I wish we had more of those. But I also think that if you look at Proverbs chapter 13, the housewife is not just a person who stays home and does nothing. Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31. You'll find that you can engage in in, uh, different activities. You can learn different skills and so on and so forth. You never know what will happen in life. And I think it is wise to either have a skill or have some profession. Even if you don't utilize it immediately, you never know what will turn out. So you always have to be peer uh, for the future, uh, you never know what will, will take place. So I would su- suggest to housewives who are just totally dependent on their husband and so on and so forth, in the process, it, are the children grown? Are they in school? Are they in college? Well, learn something. Go and take a course or do something online. Learn to bake or cook or you know learn how to use the computer. Um, just prepare yourself, in, 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 just in case something could happen. And we all know that life is so brief and so short, and life can be interrupted so suddenly. And that's
0: why we ought to be prepared. So it's nothing wrong in learning a skill, um, if, even if you're a housewife. Do you have a question that someone asked you recently, and you're not sure how to answer it from a biblical perspective? Maybe you're not even a Christian. Maybe you don't claim to be a Christian. We are glad that you're listening to the program. But if you have a question, we would be glad to answer it from a biblical perspective. You can call and be put live on the air, 1-268-462-7420. We are not here to argue or belittle you. It is a safe place for you to call. 1-268-462-7420 one 462 7420 If you'd rather not speak live on the air, I understand, and you can WhatsApp or text your question to one 782 1454 Maybe it's a question that you're a little embarrassed to ask, thinking that people might expect that you should have known the answer, or maybe it's got some personal information in it. Just mention in the comment or in your question that you would like to remain anonymous. We won't even mention necessarily where in the world you are asking the question from and definitely not the area code or anything that would give away your location or the island that you are on. You can also contact us on Facebook Live, go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and you can comment your question. Maybe it's not a question, maybe it is a suggested topic you'd like us to discuss in a future episode of That's Truth. We want this program to be as practical as possible for you, and the best way to do that is to discuss the topics that are being discussed in your home, in your workplace, and the things that are on your mind and on your heart.
1: Pastor, anything else? Yeah, well, I just gave a description of the unhealthy uh, codependent, but let me just give the alternative, which is the uh, the healthy marriage. Uh, in a healthy marriage, is what you may call good interdependence on each other. Uh, there's a mutual independence between each other, uh, each person. The spouse uh, looks at the strength and encourages the uh, the person to develop. Um, Uh, They also try to improve in personal areas of weaknesses in their lives, etc., etc., but all of them also ask each other to focus on the Lord, uh, the one they should ultimately depend on. Um, i think every husband should encourage his wife to become the best person she could be and uh, i think in this day and age people should always be learning i don't know i feel that way and i think that um encourage your wife to to explore the the world of learning and you yourself should be doing that as an individual because you want her to have a sense of independence uh, you know and i think you should encourage that as much as possible
0: What does a codependent person look like, and how can a person recognize that they are falling into that codependent label? Well, a lot of people
1: who are codependent, uh, first of all, you, you don't pick it up uh, all of them seem to be uh, self sufficient and uh, but in actual fact they are very insecure on the inside and i think that you could probably evaluate a codependent profile by um, you know looking at several things uh, do i feel responsible for the feelings and the needs of, of other persons actions etc uh, do i do I, I do i feel that i had to fix the person's problems even to the detriment of my own well-being? Uh, uh, do I uh, know that person's needs and had that person's feelings intact, in but I neglect my own personal needs? Do I think the other person are incapable of doing something for themselves, so therefore I have to constantly be the one uh, uh, meeting their needs? Do I feel angry when I don't seem to be needed by the other person, or do I feel uplifted the fact that they're now maturing and developing? Um, Do I tend to be very rigid and judgmental uh, in the eyes of other persons because um, I'm always pretty much uh, pretending that I'm the independent person, when in actual fact on the inside I need to be needed? do I deny my own feelings to meet the feelings of other people? Do I feel guilty uh, to stand up for myself when my rights are being violated Do I feel that I'm being manipulated? But I, uh, I you know, I, because of I need to be needed, uh, I feel a little bit guilty by pointing out uh, these things to the other person. Uh, do I try to perfect, uh, to be perfect, in order to avoid being criticized or somebody being angry at me? I think that... And then, do I look for my self-worth in the approval of other people? Do I really need people to to, to affirm me again and again? Um, And am I attracted to needy people? Do I find that those are the people I gravitate to? I don't like independent people. I like people who who, uh, need a prop, and I don't mind being a prop. So uh, if I find that these are things that are characteristic of me, chances are I have that kind of codependent mindset, and that's a profile that would help to establish the, the way I'm thinking.
0: If I just heard you describe me, what should I do?
1: Well, I think that the first thing that you've got to understand that you need pers- perspective. The problem with people who are um, codependent is that they are blind to reality and they think that their asset, what uh, they perceive as an asset, they don't see it as a liability. So I think. you need to get somebody to give you an honest evaluation of what they really think about you and how you you deal with situations. I think that's the first step of it. The other thing is that um, you might need to get away from a situation before you can actually really, really have a a balanced perspective on the situation. If that's a relationship, uh, you might have to break off the relationship to be able to see it from the outside. You're so engrossed on the inside that you can't see that it's a codependent relationship. And the other thing, of course... um, You've got a good Christian friend Or a good um, person in the church That knows you well Uh, I think there's always the Possibility of asking them To give you um, an evaluation Of what what they really think about you In regards to these matters And and tell you an honest answer Even if offensive I think that could be very, very helpful The other thing, Nathan, is that Um, If you go online, uh, there are some Christian websites that you can actually Google uh, codependency in the Christian review, and you'll find that they will help you to do a a kind of um, an analysis to to see if you're, you're that type of personality. That can be very helpful as well.
0: You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. For this program on Tuesday evenings, we are also on Facebook Live. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp comment that has come in. I totally agree with your statement, Pastor, that there should be more Christian housewives. There is so much a housewife can do to keep the family stabilized.
1: What well, I think is, in the old question, if you check the Bible, that, that is the ideal. Um, uh, I feel as well, if I might say this, and not to show sure who's sending in that, I do feel that a lot of Christians uh, should be housewives, uh, especially in the first formative years of a, child, a child's life. The situation is such because of the complexity of life and the expense of living uh, in the Caribbean, uh, especially if you have to rent and you have to buy your, your food and you have to keep yourself dressed, et cetera, et cetera, and send your children to school. It is very, very, very high-cost uh, place to live. And sometimes that requires that the wife helps the husband to supplement the income. Um, so sometimes it is really a necessity that two people be out there working. But I do feel that the sacrifice should be made, as I've said more than once in the program, during the formative years of the child. And when the child starts to go to school, then something can be done. The other option is if they decide they want to stay home, uh, there are so many things today that can be done in the home. I mean, right now, I know of uh, two or three cases where uh, persons who had never baked before had now become professional bakers and are taking orders online for pastries and different types of stuff like that. Um, and it's becoming very, very lucrative. That is one option. Um, food is another option. Dressmaking is another option. There, uh, there are also some places where you can uh, use the computer... Uh, to do certain follow up on and, and matters and, and get a reasonable income, you can also teach English as a foreign language and be well played uh, online. There are so many different things that can be done uh, in that regard, but I feel that um, it is important for uh, people to consider this it 's a and i don 't have to tell people who do housework, especially when your wife is away for two or three weeks. You begin to understand the real uh, the job in itself the cleaning the cooking the washing. Uh, The maintenance, uh, it it is just constantly going, constantly going. So I I, I agree with the sentiments of the person who sent that in, and I hope that some people who are, uh, especially during this COVID period, who actually think about it and and maybe the experience of it itself during the COVID uh, might show you that there are ways of doing things and still remaining at home.
0: Question from a listener, Pastor, is it a sin for the wife to work outside of the home?
1: No, I don't think you can classify it as a sin because... uh, I mean, there's no biblical command uh, which says a wife should be at home. There's no biblical command that says if a wife goes to work, she commits sin. This is one of those areas that people have to decide and the conscience have to decide. Uh, what would you do then if a person, a home, a situation where the husband um, is, is bringing in a $1,000 or $1,500? $1, the rent is $800. The food is, uh, if you've got four people, four $500, $600, That's that's $1,300 itself. He has to pay transportation He has to dress when he goes to work He has to have his tools Utilities, utilities. I mean we haven't talked yet what, What's he going to do? Um, what's, the ch- what, what's the child going to do? Is you going to stop the child from going to school? Now I don't think it's a sin uh, I feel that it's a decision that needs to be made Between a husband and a wife But I do feel that the, uh, the Serious thought should be given To being in the home During the formative years of the child That's my view on that matter
0: Pastor, what does a codependent relationship look like in actual life?
1: Well, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a relationship, as I mentioned, a dysfunctional relationship where you have uh, a destructive cycle of manipulation and control and uh, where the relationship is actually robbed of its joint happiness. And the, the dynamics that's going on there, as I pointed out to you, is that there's a person who really has a, a is a very very dependent. Uh, they they have a need. They just can't seem to stand on their own two feet. They ha- they're tremendously weak. The problem is that the other person should be, should assist that person at the same time set boundaries and let the person know they're going to be consequences to wean that person off the dependence. But the problem with the other person is that they need to be needed, and they keep the person in that dependent state. Uh, not allowing them to suffer any consequences, not setting any kind of boundaries, any kind of standards. So there's never an upliftment of the person where they begin to act any kind of independence. And that's the problem uh, in a codependent relationship. It's a very toxic relationship. But in actual fact, it's an entangled web of emotional bondage between two people that needs to be broken. And sometimes, as I pointed out, when you're in that kind of a situation, you can't be objective. Objectivity is completely gone. And you need some outside power or some outside person to give you a better assessment of what really is happening and make uh, it more objective.
0: Anything else you'd like to mention as we wrap up this topic of codependency?
1: Well, I'd like to say that, you know, this is just a human um, definition. This is just uh, another one of those... uh, Definitions in the statistical book of, of uh, psychology, basically. Um, these are not anything new. Uh, these kind of relationships, I think if you go into the the Bible, you might find that uh, Jacob and his mother was fairly dependent. You can see that in Isaac, and, uh, sorry, uh, Esau and his dad. You can see that kind of a dependency there as well. Uh, but I think that by defining it and perhaps setting out more clearly the characteristics of it um we get a better picture of what we're talking about but this is nothing new and we just need to apply biblical principles to dealing with the situation uh if it's a dependency that is gone beyond the norms that god has set it means that we have to call the person to repentance uh in life and and start doing what is the biblical thing to do which is to treat people as responsible uh, hold them um responsible by having consequences, and then of course, renew the mindset of yourself uh to appreciate that you can't do everything for some for persons individuals are responsible, and you don't need to take that load yourself.
0: Uh, I think that would be very helpful. We are going to delve into another topic, but before we do, let me share the contact information so that if you have a question, no matter what topic it's on, you can send it in. You can call and be put live on the air. The phone line is open and available. Uh, 1-268-462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to one 268 or you can send us your question via Facebook Live. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed and you can comment your questions right there on your device. Pastor from Antigua a question that has come in we know that God cannot lie if God cannot lie why did God put a lying spirit in the prophet's mouth?
1: Well Again, um, what the Lord did was allowed uh, a lion spirit to uh, go to speak um, to the that the king i in the in the case that you 're talking about if it 's the same one it 's somewhere in kings um, where or it might be the the case of jeremiah i can 't remember the, the situation but where the Lord allowed a lion spirit to mislead the uh, i think it was a king who wanted to make a decision. The prophet of God had told him not to go in that direction. It was wrong. He's going to end up in, in in your destruction, basically. But rather than listen to the prophet of God, uh, the person turned away from the true prophet, and the Lord allowed the lying spirit to to um, uh, go and speak through the false prophet uh, to the person. And uh, the false prophet was uh, able to mislead the person in that direction. This is where, uh, uh, in my judgment, this is God judicially acting as, as judge. He has told you what to do. He's led you to a prophet who has told you exactly what God desires of you, but you insist in going your own way. So the Lord has given the an evil spirit permission, as it were. All right, if you want to believe that, you believe that. Uh, by the way, you see that also in the in the book of Numbers. You remember the case of Balaam, he wanted to curse Israel, and uh, the Lord intervened and uh, really couldn't curse Israel. But then at the same time, he go back to the Lord, and he asked the Lord again, should I go? And the Lord said, oh, wanted, you just go ahead. And you remember on his way, when he was going, uh, quite frankly, there was an angel in the way about to slay him. And good fortune for him that the donkey had better sense than he did, and saw the angel uh, with the drawn sword, and he plunged against the the, uh, the the fence, and he got bruised, and then he beat the donkey, saying, "Why, you know, why in the world did you uh, <laughs> you do do this?" And the Lord opened the eyes of the prophet Balaam, and he saw exactly what uh, happened there, that the angel was standing in the way. But notice that he had asked the Lord, "Should I go and curse?" And the Lord told the Balaam, "Absolutely not." But yet, Balak was able to bribe him, so he comes back to the Lord, okay, if you want to go, you go ahead. It's that kind of a situation where a person has made up their mind what they're going to do, and the Lord, out of judicial judgment, allows it to take place. Uh, So in in a case here where the Lord has already revealed what his will was, but the person refuses to do it, uh, the Lord gives permission to an evil spirit, okay, if you want to believe these false prophets, go ahead. And if false prophet is deceived by the evil spirit, so I don't see any problem with that. I, I think it's part of God's judicial discretion in, in dealing with these matters. That people who refuse to listen to God, um, God turns them over and allows them to be exposed to to evil. That's their choice.
0: Thank you very much for the individual from Painters in Antigua who sent in that question. As we...
1: D- yeah, I, I wanted to, s- in the, before we leave to go into the other topic, Nathan, I just wanted to uh, say that when you're dealing with these uh, persons who come for help because they think that they're codependent, um, a few things quickly. Yeah. N- uh, number one is uh, the need for clarification. Uh, as I mentioned, codependency tends to destroy objectivity and perception. And uh, that person needs to sort out reality and fantasy, and that's where they need some clarification. Is, is this a codependent co- relationship or not? Because they ca- they may not be able to see it, believe it or not. They may think they're doing the, the best for the person, but don't realize that they don't want to release the person and keep the person in a dependent situation. Secondly, the, the matter of detachment. Uh, you have to get become mentally, emotionally, sometimes physically detached and uh, disengage from the entanglement there to be able to perceive it. Um, this may require you recognizing that people are responsible for their actions. Uh, number two, you can't solve everybody's problems, and that consequences are a normal part of life, and sometimes it's the only way to turn people around. So I think being detached and looking at that objectively may help you. The other thing is t- teaching, the other, teaching the person responsibility. Um, uh, the, the person need to be taught responsible for the decisions. Help the person set some goals if they're not accustomed to setting goals and accomplishing everything, anything uh, lasting. Start with small incremental goals and help that person uh, to, 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 to improve themselves. And also, try to set limits uh, on your relation with them and to what, what extent you're prepared to help and when you're going to draw the lane. Uh, I think, again, you're going to have to teach them some kind of respond to it. The other thing is to finding some uh, person who's willing to work with the person to wean them off this, this concept of uh, this, this this sense of dependency. Sometimes it's not good for the, the, the family alone to try to deal with the problem because they're so enmeshed in it. They might need to get some kind of outside help. That uh, can be severe and yet kind at the same time, objective and yet at some time be restraining. Uh, so I think that is needed. And I think the, one of the most important parts of it as well is to have the person's mind renewed. And what I mean by that is get into Scripture and understand wh- wh- what God believes about personal responsibility. Uh, if it's a person who is an adult, person who's for self-maintenance, for being independent, for finding a job. Uh, if it's a person on drugs, of uh, not being a slave to anything, et etc., et uh, I think that needs to be taught. And another thing that might be very helpful is that when you're dealing with a codependent person is to try to help them understand how they got into this state. And sometimes it might require a little bit of background of how mom dealt with them Uh, to find out because a lot of this starts very very early in life Uh, and I think we all know children who are spoiled spoiled brats uh, and we know that the parents have spoiled them and they want everything, the world must revolve around them, et etc. et cetera. So I think it may be helpful sometimes to to, uh, to find a little bit about wh- how they were brought up and how did mommy deal with them, how did daddy deal with them, cetera, how did brothers and sisters deal with them, et cetera. I think that might help them to understand how they got to this complete state where they think that they must continue to depend upon people rather than become
0: independent individuals. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is eight nineteen. Our, as we delve into a new topic, and the topic is the church's role in society. This is a topic that has been fiercely debated, often controversial. It's separated friends. It's split churches. You can find churches on both extremes. You can find those that live in their own little Christian bubble. You can find some that have unfortunately sacrificed the gospel for social work. And we're going to be discussing what is the role of the organized church in society and what does the Bible have to say about it. Pastor, as we start out, what are the general views in relation to the relationship between the church and the state?
1: Well, there are four main views in connection with the, the church and, uh, and the, the state. There are those who uh, believe that the church uh, the state should control the church. Um, I think if you are familiar with the um, churches in Europe that came out of the Reformation, um, you would know that in, in many, many cases, there were state churches, and pretty much uh, the state uh, uh, controlled those churches. As a matter of fact, out of the uh, um, Constantine, I think three hundred and twelve when he made the church the official church of Rome, remember that the Emperor uh, was the one that called together these synods and these uh, these council meetings to the, this debate on on, on doctrine um, so that is one of the the things that uh, one of the ways that the church has interacted with the state, where the actual fact rather than the church controlling the state, the state control the church. That is one option. Uh, the problem with that is that when the state gets too much control over the church, uh, it not only controls the church, but it controls Christian conscience because it begins to dictate to the church what it can believe and what it cannot believe. I think in the Soviet Union, for example, and in, in in China, that's exactly what it is. The church decide, the state decides which church can operate, which church cannot operate, and if you want to operate the church, you have to be willing to operate under the the control of the state church, the state. And that happens in uh, certainly in communist countries. It happens also in um, uh, Islamic countries as well. Uh, as well, uh, the other the other thing is the the op- other option is the church dominates the state Uh, and I think that if you were to look at the dark ages in in church history uh, you find that the Catholic Church was the predominant institution that actually controlled the state uh, for several hundreds of years almost 300 years the church was the most powerful entity in Europe Uh, as a matter of fact when I did uh, world history I forgot the king but one um, pope Made one king stand out in the uh, snow with his shoes off until he had repented. that excommunicated him, and the, the guy actually did it and was re- re- restored. That gave an idea of how powerful uh, the church was. Um, you also still you still find that, by the way, in in churches like um, in in not churches, but you find in religions like Islam. You, you take Iran. The Ayatollah is the, the key man in, in, in Iran. He's a religious leader that actually controls the political directorate, to be very honest, the most powerful man uh, there. So that's another situation where um, the, the state and the religion uh, operate. The other thing is, the other other position is that they're two independent entities, and they're mutually exclusive where the church has its role to play and the government has its role to play uh but they they don't cross lines basically they just completely focus on their particular of sphere of res- responsibility and purpose the fourth view is that while it is true that the church and its ch- and its ch- and the state are independent there can be some interaction and there can be mutual respect and the understanding of uh delegating of responsibility in different spheres of of, of um Uh, Areas of life. That is perhaps the one that I would be more inclined towards. Um, I think the mistake is made that the church, uh, you know, the idea that the church must never have a voice in society and and it must never speak about matters of politics, etc. I don't think that is supported. I'm not for that. I think the church should be able to speak its voice. I think the church ought to operate with government. For example, uh, recently we had a meeting online where we learned that one of the ministers uh, within one of the Baptist church was asked by one of the leaders of the government of how do we solve the problem of the family. Now, don't tell me if the government turns to the church and said, "Listen, we have a family problem in in Antigua, the home is broken down, we're looking to you for solutions." It, to me, I'd be dismayed if the church would close a blind eye to an opportunity there to try to uh, uh, work with the government to see how we can best restore families in, in Antigua and we build a family. So, I think there can be healthy interaction. And I think as long as the government stays within its sphere of responsibility, the church can stay within its spheres, but there can be healthy interaction and recognition of each sphere of of authority in relation to to matters, uh, whether it be dealing with spiritual matters or moral matters.
0: The statement, separation of church and state, would that fall in line with the third category as far as two independent entities and the two shall not mix? Well, repeat that again the statement separation of church and state, in mm-hmm. other words, don't bring your church philosophies into the oh. into the courthouse and that kind of thing
1: well you know that that is really the the baptistic position that came out of the Anabaptist movement uh but the reformers never totally accepted that there would be complete uh separation with state and 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 in other words that there was no role for religion. Uh, in government. As a matter of fact, whether it be the British government or the American government, all of your founding fathers had, a, played, had a, saw a prominent role for religion. As a matter of fact, I think it was George Washington who said that democracy was only made for moral people. And uh, there are people uh, that have always understood the role that religion would play in, in connection with government. But the position that separation of state and uh, and the church. It's really an anabaptic movement that that became very ingrained in in Baptist circles.
0: Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.26. We're glad that you're listening to That's Truth. It's a live interactive call-in program. The voice that you hear teaching is that of Pastor Dr. David Murphy, the pastor of Grace Baptist Church. Here in Antigua, and we would love to have you come visit Grace Baptist Church, especially if you are looking for a church. If you are in a church that is preaching the gospel, we are not trying to drive you away from that church if that's where the Lord would have you to be. But if you are in transition and looking for a place to worship together with fellow believers and to hear the gospel preached, we would welcome you to join us at Grace Baptist Church on Roan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Sunday school starts at 9 a.m. and Sunday morning service starts at 10 a.m. If you have a question, you can call and be put live on the air, one 462 7420 If you'd rather WhatsApp or text, you can send your question to 268 782 Pastor, can you give us a little bit of a historical review of the role of the church that the church has played in society? Well, there are
1: different um, historical stages that you can trace uh, that give an idea of how the church perceived itself and and the level of involvement uh, within the society. If you take the first uh, 300 years of church history, um, the church was heavily involved in social action, uh, but not through governmental agencies. In fact, Christians were excluded from public life uh, because of intense persecution, yet they were widely recognized for the kind of social work they were doing. For example, they were known for giving—that that is giving money that would be donated to the poor. They were also known for supporting widows and orphans. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I have a quote from the emperor Just, uh, Justinian, Uh, who complained, and this is what he complained, Julian, sorry, Emperor Julian, he said, These godless Galileans feed not only their own poor, but ours too. Uh, He was upset that the the church was actually taking care of not only their own, but taking care of the pagans as well. Uh, They also uh, were deeply involved in the care for the sick and the disabled. Uh, As you would know, the first hospitals that were formed. Were formed by Christian institutions. It was not a government uh, idea or government plan to come up with hospitals. It was the church that took on that responsibility to care for the sick. They also uh, were deeply involved in the first 300 years for the care of prisoners and slaves. Some even sold themselves into bondage so they can set free slaves. Uh, That was the kind of social interaction. They also provided work for people who were not employed, uh, engaging them in their own activities if they were like craftsmen, uh, bringing people that were not employed to work with them in that matter. And also, they were uh, especially uh, involved in suffering for times of calamity uh, when there were plagues. The Christians were the ones who continued to care for those who were dying when everybody was running. Uh, Christians were staying on and caring. It's like what was going on in the uh, the Ebola thing in in um, Sierra Leone, etc. Remember, it was Christian doctors that put the lives uh, put the lives in jeopardy to try to solve that problem. But that has been the history of the church in terms of involvement in society. And then uh, providing hospitality for those who were on journeys. Uh, the church was always willing to, to, when people were traveling and they didn't have a place to stay, uh, church people always been taking strangers uh, in that kind of a ministry. So the first 300 years, there were a lot of social activities, yes.
0: Pastor, we have a caller from Nevis. Nathan, thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please.
1: Yes. Good, Good evening. Good evening, sir. How are you doing?
2: I'm not doing too badly.
1: I haven't heard you for a while.
2: I tried to call in last week, but the, the phone just would not go through.
1: Oh, uh, okay. We always love to hear you.
2: Yeah. Um, my question is on um, Psalm 37, verses 9 and 11.
0: All right, let me read those. Psalm 37, verse 9 to 11 says, For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Verse 10, For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be, yea, they shall diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. And verse 11, But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace.
1: Yes, What was it, what's your your concern there, Nathan?
2: In, in verse 9 it says they that wait and the Lord shall inherit the earth Yes. and 11 says Blessed all the meat for yes. they shall inherit the earth and, all, um, and what, what the rest of the verses
1: well look don't forget that we've got the, the thousand year millennial rule of Christ on planet earth uh, don't ever forget that And uh, those that will share in the millennial rule are those who are the meek, those who have bowed their knees to Christ and put their faith and trust in Christ. So uh, that is yet to come. That hasn't come as yet. The other thing is that if you read the book of Revelation where you got the Jerusalem coming down from heaven, clearly uh, we are going to have access both to the earth and to the new Jerusalem. So, and don't forget there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. If there's a new heaven and a new earth, the earth must be there for a purpose. So we certainly will have access both to the new city of Jerusalem and to the new earth. Those are the righteous who are going to do that, that's the meek. But both in the millennial kingdom, which is a thousand-year rule of Christ, uh, the, we find that we will reign with him for a thousand years, uh, but then also uh, during the time of eternity, when you've got the new heaven and new earth and the new Jerusalem, you have the city, of Jerusalem, the city of, uh, coming down from heaven, and uh, clearly we're both going to have access to the c- uh, celestial city of Jerusalem, and we'll also have access to planet Earth. Okay. I, I think the reason why you probably asked that question, I, I'm just surmising, a lot of people think that we're going to be in some eerie space and uh, they perceive of heaven of just being. There's no 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 element of earth involved. I think that's probably what you're thinking. about. He- remember, heaven is where God is. That's the thing we got to remember. Mm. And remember that earth, in a sense, is you know, earth is suspended in space in the galaxy as well. So in a real sense, we are in the heavenly part as well. But I think that people need to understand that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And clearly, a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, and, you, and you read the book of Revelation chapter 21, we certainly will have access to both.
2: Um, in the Revelation 20, 21, in Revelation 21, it says the God is going to tabernacle with man.
1: Yes, God's going to do what?
2: He yeah. Shall the, reside with right. Man. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, that is exactly what it says. it would be no. It also said be no need of the sun, uh, because uh, God will be the light. Light there. So clearly, God will be with us. Uh, that's the very clear teaching there when it comes to. So heaven is where He is. Wherever He is, that's heaven. Yes.
2: He, yes. Yeah. So it says He would tabernacle. Yes.
1: Yeah. That's interesting as well, Nathan. In um when it says in the book of john and the word dwelt among us first yeah. of, that word there as well is tabernacle as well that's when christ became incarnate and dwelt among men that word "dwelt" is the word tabernacle he came to tabernacle among men uh in his human flesh and that will take place with god in, in eternity in revelation
0: chapter 21 you're correct about that
1: okay thank you for
2: calling
0: Thank you for calling and have a great night there in Nevis and continue to encourage others to listen to that truth. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question from Antigua. It's in relation to uh, thoughts and sin. It's a little lengthy, but I'll read it here. I sometimes find myself continually fighting in thought. To keep from feeling good about myself when I act on obedience to God or even simple things. Either I have to continually give God all the glory to drown out thoughts or I have to start singing out loud to keep away from the thoughts that I will eventually lead me to prideful vain thoughts. I sometimes laugh because it's a bit funny, especially the singing out loud part. I am wondering, though, when these thoughts come, am I sinning against God?
1: What I would say to you is that whatever is working for you, uh, keep working at it, because a lot of your... um, thoughts after you get saved in a lot of your, your attitudes really were developed when you were very young. Maybe you were a very powerful person before you became saved and you still carry that over into your life and something you have to fight about. Remember that pride is just outside the door of every human heart hmm. and the moment you open that door he steps in and begins to take over. Even the Apostle Paul, you remember after he had in, in Corinthians chapter 12, he was taken to the third heaven he saw things he could not utter and immediately after that he was given a thorn and remember what the Lord said? Uh, in that but a thorn was giving me lest I be exalted above measure even the apostle Paul Uh, was a person that would have been prone to boast and to express pride. And God put the thorn in Paul's life to keep him humble. So don't be surprised if you yourself have to fight this ongoing battle with human pride because it's at the very root of all of our problems, to be very honest with you. Remember, it was pride that brought down Satan. And uh, it was pride, basically, in the Garden of Eden. You'll be like God. You'll know. Pride of knowledge and pride of power, basically, is what brought down Sister Eve and, and Brother Adam in, in the Garden of Eden, so don't be surprised that that happens. What I would say to you that um, a thought becomes uh, sinful when you encourage and dwell on it if it's a wrong thought. Uh, sometimes a thought will pass through your mind and uh, that is not necessarily sin because it's not it's not you really. Sometimes the, the enemy raises that in your mind. But if you have that thought, you begin to dwell on it. So, uh, I don't want to sound cruel, but uh, suppose you see a young lady walk across the road. She's a beautiful young lady, very attractive. And your eyes see her and you say, that's a beautiful lady. But if while you're driving down, your mind is on her and then you're stripping off her dress as you're going down the road, now that becomes sin. So I think it has to do with how much you dwell on, but the fact that you hate it is a very good sign. And I would suggest that if singing helps you to deal with that, or praising God helps you to do that, sister, use whatever skill the Lord has given you to deal with it. But it would be an ongoing battle uh, in your life. Chances are, uh, it has some roots in your uh, early Christian life before you, were, in your life before you were saved, and and uh, that hasn't left you. It's just one of those. Uh, appendages that remain, that gradually will fall off eventually as you gain the victory and you keep practicing what God has given you to do.
0: As you were giving that answer, Pastor James one fifteen came to my mind, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. death.
1: Correct, correct,
0: correct. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 8.38, and we are talking about the church and their role in society and as i introduce that topic again we have a question that has come in whatsapp question pastor what's your opinion of the local church raising funds by selling tickets or for asking unsaved people to support them financially i don't
1: like the idea of turning to unsaved people for help it just doesn't rub me the right way uh But I think uh, if it is within church or within a church denomination where you're trying to support a venture, I really don't have any problem, for example, if the church um, wanted to um, do a a meal, for example. Uh, they're going to go to on missions. The young people are going on a mission trips here to St. Kitts. They're going to spend a week in St. Kitts. They need to find ticket money. They have to find place to sleep. They have to find food, travel, etc., etc. I see nothing wrong in the young people deciding to, to do a, um, a barbecue or do a meal, and then ask the other churches to support that, etc., etc. If the other churches Want to donate without uh, getting, albeit, but I have no problem in it per se. Um, I just think that the, the Lord's work should be supported by the Lord's people. Uh, we all know that, but there are projects that we do that the New Testament church did not do. I, I mean, the, and now remember that uh, travel today, if you're going to travel 12 young people going to another island, you think of the cost of that alone. Sometimes the, these young people are in homes where the parents are not Christians. And even if the parents are Christian, depending on how many kids are in the home, to find that kind of funding uh, to go, sometimes the church will help, and most cases the church will help, but again, it can't help in every direction. And I think it it, it, it helps the young person as well to understand uh, responsibility and maturity and get involved themselves rather than just depending on other people, just meeting their needs that they be creative. When I was going to Bible school, I didn't have money. And one of the things I did was to make plaques. I used plaster of Paris, and I would get molds and make them, paint them, and I would go around in the neighborhood and, and sell them to my friends and sell them to people. Uh, I also bought an ox, <laughs> a, a cow, basically, a young calf. And i that's how I got uh, some money to go to Bible school. I, I had to be going across the beach uh, with a cow. We didn't have any pasture, take it across the beach, maybe a quarter of a mile just to, to tie it out and I had to go back for it, feed it, etc., etc. So a lot of things that we need to do that, you know, I just didn't believe in depending on people to give me everything. I didn't expect that. So I don't see anything in being creative if the young people come up with different ways and means of doing things and doing a, a spiritual project. I think that honors God, to be very honest with you. Um, so I, I don't have a problem with it, but I don't like going to unsafe people. Uh, I don't like g- giving a piece of card or a sheet of paper and going around from house to house and asking people to make a donation to the church. I, I find that very, very repulsive.
0: I don't I don't like that. Thank you for the questions that have been sent in thus far tonight. If you have a question, you can send it via WhatsApp or text to one two six eight seven eight two one four five four. You can call and be put live on the air, 268 Pastor, you were talking about the historical role of the church uh, and the role they played in society, and you were referencing the fact that they helped in the plague back in the Dark Ages, but also even over the last few years in Liberia and West Africa with Ebola. Anything else that, from a historical standpoint that you want to remind us of? Yeah, I was
1: just tracing it. I was saying within the first 300 years, basically the church was actively involved in society, and they were actively involved on a very... So a lot of social programs, a lot of what the government is doing today is what the church used to do. Uh, whether it dealing with people, children who, who were abandoned and uh, left in exposure, uh, the church took on that role. Whether it be widows who were neglected, the church took on that role. The church was a caring society. Uh, and uh, they really, really were actively involved in this program. Then we come to Constantine 312. I mentioned the first 300 years. Uh, the outcast minority, which was a church, which had no role whatsoever in government and uh, high-class society, gradually became the establishment. Because in 312, of course, Constantine pretty much was responsible for the church being um, uh, the church being accepted by the state and the, the church became the state state church, basically. And uh, what happened is that the church was excessively manipulated by government because it was now the government that was appointing uh, bishops and archbishops and priests, etc., etc. So uh, it, during the Constantine period, you've got this now where the state begins to control the church and dictate to the church and call councils, etc., etc. Um, as time passed on, however, after Constantine, the church got tremendous power. Where the terrible turned now, the, where the state was controlling the church, now the church began to control the state. As a matter of fact, let, let me give you a quote from two of the popes: Pope Gregory the Seventh, uh, 1073 to 1085. This is what he said. He said the pope alone may use the imperial insignia. Now, this is the the emperor having seals, etc. Yeah. He said all princesses shall kiss the feet of the pope alone.
0: Wow! He
1: may dispose emperors. He may absolve subjects of the wicked rulers from their allegiance. And this is what this is what uh, made kings fear the, the the pope. Every state and every uh, king, the people sh- swore loyalty to him. That's what gave him his power. But the Pope now had power to tell those people you should you can you should no longer you can you should no longer be loyal to the king. So immediately he loses his power, and the people side with the Pope. That's the kind of power <laughs> that he has. Let me give you a quote from uh, Pope Innocent. This is eighteen sorry eleven ninety eight to twelve sixteen. Uh, he was probably the most powerful Pope, and he was one that constantly maneuvered uh, the Europeans as he wished. Uh, he claimed that the Pope was the head of the church and they have, had every right to the allegiance of every secular ruler because he was the he was God's vicar. So every secular ruler now must swear alliance to the Pope. So, so you've got the first 300 years where the church is involved in a lot of social activity. Then you got Constantine coming. He established the church as the norm within the church. The the state controls the church, but tables turn, the, the the Pope now controls the church. And then we come to the Reformation. And uh this is where uh things begin to change in terms of how the church was being perceived. And what I mean by that is that the Reformation uh, called for a separation of the church and the state. Uh the Anabaptists uh carried it to the other extreme. They uh, thought that civil government was not for Christians, and they felt that civil government was only for non-Christians and that the, the Christians should stay out of, of civil government. And uh, today, by the way, the Anabaptist belief is still manifested in the Amish and the Mennonites, they don't get involved in, in governmental matters. It's like they exist in a different world altogether. The Anabaptists basically push that, and uh, you still have the remnants of that today. Baptists uh, are the ones that uh, really were very, very strong in emphasizing the separation of the church and the state. And quite frankly, uh, this has been the Reformation position, the church and the state. Uh, should be separated, but that did not mean that they were not to influence each other because you'll notice that out of the Reformation you had the Lutheran Church uh, you had the, uh, the the Presbyterian Church, you had the Scottish Church, even though they recognized the government was separate, the church still had influence on government, so it was not an exclusive where this is our domain, this is your domain, you just rule this and you do there was an interaction between the church. Uh, in the state. And this is what has prevailed. Um, In the northern part of Europe, where the Protestant Reformation dominated, those nations that colonized the New World in the North, like Canada and America, that Protestant concept was carried over to the North American countries. However, in the southern part of Europe, which was still dominated by Catholic that concept of the church controlling government was carried to the southern country. That's why you find in South America so much like like, and darkness between the north and the south. It has to do with the Reformation brought the idea of separating the state and church, but the the Catholic has maintained the dominance of the church over the state. So you find there's a lot of Catholic control uh, in South American countries, especially when missionaries started to go into South America. No institution did more to stop Protestant missionary work in South America than the Catholic Church. They saw it as an affront to the Catholic movement, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, and then the other stage I was saying, Nathan, is the uh, evangelical awakening that uh, began in England and Scotland, um, and this is what really changed the whole course of uh, the idea of government and even national identity. And from 1750 to 1850, for 100 years, uh, British politics was dominated by what you might call the Anglican evangelicals, people that came out of the the um, the, the awakening. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Clapham sect yet. This is a, a group of um, Evangelical Christians, especially out of the Methodist movement. Uh, they r- uh, really had the church playing a major social role uh, in a lot of um, social changes that were brought about um, in England uh, in America. I think we all know that um, William Wilberforce, um, Granville Clark, Thomas Clarkson, Zachary Macaulay, and Lord Shattersbury, these are men that were involved in bringing down, we, we, we did slavery already, abolition of slavery, but it also brought the humanization. Uh, of workers of workers in factories and in prisons. These men also work for the relief of debtors, people who were put in prison for debt and couldn't come out until they paid the debt. They did that. And also, they also work a lot to do with uh, discrimination against minorities. And another thing that they did, Nathan, is that they're the ones pretty much responsible for making Sunday a day of rest where you wouldn't have factories closed down These men uh, were the ones responsible uh, for that as well. And then uh, even the national lottery back in those days was squashed as a result of this kind of work that these men did. So uh, in the evangelical awakening and the biparticle of that uh, led to a lot of social changes, and they got involved in social activities and trying to change the society uh, into what it should be. Um, So they played a vital role in in that part. Oh, the other thing is, you, you know cockfighting? Yeah, That was put to rest after the evangelical awakening as well. That was being practiced in England, and that too was put to rest. Even even profanity and adultery was uh, legislated against as a result of the evangelical awakening and uh, these men working to bring about social change in their country.
0: If someone came to you and said, Pastor Murphy, the government of Antigua, is looking to put legislation in place that would make it illegal to curse, that would make it illegal to commit adultery. Would you support uh, that type of thing? Is that the place of the government to legislate that, or is that overreach?
1: Well, I think, to be very honest with you, I think the, the people elect a government, and a government is supposed to do as much as possible listen to the voice of the people, and also try to put legislation which is in the best interests mm. of the citizens, okay? Now, I understand, for example, uh, buggery laws. On burglary laws, if you were caught committing buggery, you put in jail, it's illegal, it's like that. Um, clearly, burglary is evil, it is sinful, it is ungodly, it's immoral, etc., etc. But, I am not too sure that I would agree to put somebody in jail for it. Mm -hmm. I I, I am not too sure I would agree to that, to be very honest with you. I think in a democracy, however, that doesn't mean that I am comfortable. uh, What a man wants to do in his bedroom is his business. But when he starts to promote it in public which is detrimental to the well-being of the younger generation, I think that should be made illegal, right? So I don't think there should be any parading or boogery and stuff like that in uh, in open parade because I see that as detrimental to society, okay? So I would not be for that. But I can understand uh, uh, the idea that, um, you know, I'm not sure, I really, it's a very ambivalent matter on this matter because within a democracy, you must have some kind of freedom uh, we can't impose the Ten Commandments on society because it's not a theocracy. Right. So I think in a secular world, you have to decide, government has to decide what is in the best interest of society and make laws which are in the best interest of society. I would never be for the government changing marriage. Uh, marriage laws, uh, that you can know two people who are of the same sex could marry. I can never support that, because that's clearly uh, contrary to God's will when it comes to marriage, right? So I would not be for that to, to, to happen. I would not be for uh, legalizing transgender either, That the body, a male change for a female, a female change to a male. That is completely contrary uh, to God's design, um, but so I think it's a it's a very ticklish one within the democracy to operate within the democracy uh the church, for example, like we could never tolerate any kind of buggery in the church, any kind of homosexuality in the church. the church should never tolerate that that should be disciplined it should be dismembered, cast out to the church until there's repentance or whatever it is. But when it comes to society, the idea of uh jailing people because of this, I think that that is not the role of the of the of the church.
0: If you just heard pastors say a person should be dismembered, I think he was meaning that they would be, their membership revoked and <laughs> yeah, not torn up. I, I don't mean
1: to castrate or whatever, <laughs> what I'm saying, remove from being a member of the church. I think the church itself has to be a model, and I think the church has to exercise discipline when people go contrary to the principles of Scripture. But the church is not the government, and the government is not the church, and we need to recognize that. We can't expect the, the government to function as a church. Uh, I think it's reasonable to understand it as well.
0: You're listening to That's Truth, and we have about four minutes left in tonight's episode. If you have a question, go ahead and send it in via WhatsApp or text 12687821454. If we don't get to it tonight, we will start out next week's episode asking the question that you send in. Pastor, this is a very practical question that relates very much in the year 2021. So, how, as we talk about the church's role in society, how do you respond to the argument that when you look at scripture, Jesus and Paul were not involved in politics, so we shouldn't be either?
1: Well, I agree with you that when you look at the scripture, um, there is a difference between uh, Christ and our situation. Uh, For example, You don't find anywhere in the the scriptures where Christ joined some kind of a um, Christian Al-Qaeda movement or some kind of a revolutionary movement. You don't find him uh, petitioning that, you know, Christians to make some kind of appeal to government in those kind of situations. You don't find that he calls for any kind of a boycott of goods made in in Jerusalem because the church is not allowed to preach. So I do think there's a a clear difference between uh, how Paul and Christ operated and how we operate today. So I think it's a a legitimate um, point. However, I would like to say that there is a difference uh, in in several things. Number one is Christ did not live in a democracy. He lived under a dictatorship. Uh, he didn't have liberty and freedom as we have liberty and freedom, so it's, it's not the same uh, same comparison. Uh, the other thing is that uh, you know we are dual citizens; we are citizens of heaven and we are citizens of earth. And with that citizenship comes certain responsibilities. We are, under law, there are certain things that we can do and we cannot do. The other thing is that our Lord was here for a purpose. His purpose was redemption. And his entire focus was fulfilling God's will for his life. Paul's purpose was to be an apostle to the Gentiles, that he was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Not all of us are called to those roles. There are people who are called to be doctors, who are called to be lawyers. There are people who are called to be teachers. There are people who are called to be, even to be involved in, in, in believe that their role, in, proper role is in, in politics, in getting involved in government. They see it as one of the ways of being salt and light, not in in the church. As I keep telling people, we're not told to be salt and light in the church. We're told to be salt and light in the world. And that means where we function. There are some people who believe that they are called to be scientists and would uh, uh, devote their time. So I think it's a different uh, difference as far as that is concerned, and I cannot uh, conceive as a pastor or any person who's a believer that we must just surrender uh, our country to pagans or to non-Christians to just do what they want to. Um, we ought to be use our influence wherever we are, and I think that we c- can play a role as citizens, get involved in different activities. I think the church ought to be careful not to get entangled itself in politics so it becomes identified by any one political group. Uh, I think the church must be uh, subject to be able to talk on issues that relate to government, but never ever seen to be one that is exclusively uh, for one political party. I think that that is a danger there because parties change, and uh, even politics change. And you might you might uh, feel that what a government is doing here, what a politician is doing here is right now, but he starts to do something wrong. Once you become enmeshed with him, it becomes very difficult. Now, people think you're hypocrite uh, when you begin to change your mind. So, I think there's a difference between um, what our Lord did and Paul did because of the different situations and where we are today. We are responsible. Uh, as citizens to do our best to hold back the corruption and the evil in our society. And the best way to do that is to get involved at different levels in society.
0: To end out this week's episode, I have a hypothetical situation for you to respond to, Pastor. You have a church. You have a deacon by the name of Thomas. Thomas is a godly man, and he feels that God has called him into politics. He gets elected for party a and that party is in control should thomas resign from being a deacon of the church
1: i don't think that's very needful i don't let me think that more clearly but right now i can't see any reason why that should be if he comes up with a policy in government that is clearly anti-scriptural he supports it mm-hmm. that's a different matter But I don't see any justification for him having to remove himself from a spiritual role because he's elected as a politician.
0: I was asking it in light of the fact that you don't want the church to come across as supporting a specific party.
1: Oh, maybe I need to give it a little bit more thought, Nathan, because I wasn't looking at from an angle. I'm looking from his role in a citizen of a country, but I think there's a conscious matter for him. If he feels it's the right thing to do, I wouldn't stop him either.
0: Thank you for joining us for today's program.